This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. In a certain sense, uh, Parshat Vayachi uh, becomes a long protracted death scene. The foreboding shadow of Yaakov's impending death becomes the tone and topic for the entire Parsha. Uh, we open the Parshat Shavua and uh, we see the Pasuk Vayikruvu Yimei Yisrael Lamut um, and Yisrael's days approach death and in fact uh, throughout the whole Parsha Yaakov appears to be dying. We see Yaakov's meticulous planning as he um, issues a string of communications. Um, in the first scene Yaakov commands Yosef, don't bury me in Mitzrayim, and uh, tells him about his burial arrangements. And yet in the second uh, scene of the Parsha, in Perak Memchet, sometime later, your father is sick, and, and, and he instructs Ephraim and Menashe, and there is the famous Brachav Hamalach HaGoyel Otimi Korah. But then, there is yet another scene. And in that last scene, it is not just Yosef he's talking to, not Ephraim or Menashe he's talking to, but actually all the brothers each get their own chance to receive a Bracha. In a sort of sense of unity of the, of the family, they all seem to be gathered around Yaakov's deathbed. And there we see they each received their individual bracha, which became also a collective bracha. Yaakov plans so carefully uh, towards his death here. And maybe it's not surprising that Chazal turned around in Perkei Drabi and tell us that from the day that the world was created, no one became sick, that a person would simply walk through the marketplace and would sneeze and would somehow uh, just die. Um, however, Yaakov requested that he should be of a chance to say goodbye, say farewell to all of the members of his household. And therefore, Yaakov was the first person who actually was sick. And maybe the uh, textual cue for this is where it says, Hinei avicha chole. Behold, maybe a sense of surprise. Your father is sick, as if maybe nobody was sick before this. Certainly we don't see anybody in the Torah who is called Chole up to this point. I don't think this is the Pshat, but I think what it, uh, it, what it probes is the notion of how Yaakov seems to be preoccupied, almost obsessed, with making sure that everything is planned down to a T before he dies. I have to say that I think this is particularly characteristic of Yaakov in general. Uh, Yaakov, as we know him throughout uh, Sefer Breshit, is, uh, is an obsessive planner. He always tries to make sure that things are going his way. Uh, maybe this even starts at his birth, where he holds on to Aesop's heel. It certainly continues uh, later to when he um, sells the Nizir Arashim to Aesop, trying to get ahead through a business deal in order to get the 
firstborn that way. And with Lavan, when he has promised a wife, everything seems to be organized and yet he's tricked and, and he's always trying to plan uh, his salary in, in Lavan's house. He always has a plan. It doesn't always, and I'd say maybe more often than not, things do not go Yaakov's way and his plans fall aside and he has to actually manage uh, without the planning. Dafka in this situation with his uh, on his deathbed, he gets a chance to say exactly what he wants to say. And uh, Avraham we never see instructing his children uh, on his deathbed. Yitzchak, of course, does give his brachot to Esav and Yaakov, but there is none like uh, Yaakov Avinu, who really we get the feeling that he says every last thing that he would like to say, communicates everything to his children. And maybe that is some sort of blessing, even though Yaakov describes his life as uh, short and bitter in last week's parsha, Ma'at Vara'im, he says, were the days of his life. Uh, on his deathbed, he gets the the maybe strange or ironic uh, request that he's able to instruct his children. <clears throat> what we're going to do in today's uh, Shi'or is to examine some of these instructions. And I would like to uh, maybe begin at the opening of the Parsha with the words that he, with which he instructs Yosef. Let's take a look and let's read a little. And then we're going to compare this to what Yaakov says to the rest of the brothers regarding his burial arrangements. Yisrael is approaching death and he calls his son Yosef and says to him, if I find favor in your eyes, please put your hand underneath my thigh. And please act towards me in a state of kindness and truth. Do not bury me in Egypt. I will lie with my fathers on the Satani Mitzrayim. You should carry me away from Egypt. And bury me in their burial place. By Omar, and he said, Anochi varecha. I will do as you say. By Omar, he says, Hishavani, take an oath to me. By Yishavalo, and indeed he did. By Yishdachu Yisrael, al Roshamita. And Yisrael, Yaakov, bows at the head of the bed. This is the instruction which, uh, Yaakov gives to Yosef, and there are certain strange features of this. The, the way, the very, very respectful way in which he addresses Yosef, Why does he also insist that uh, Yosef take an oath? Swear to me, take an oath to me. What is this uh, insistence? And why is he only talking to Yosef himself? What about the, the rest of the brothers? Maybe I will also emphasize, as we will see, the particularly negative tone here. Al Natik Baranium Mimitzrayim. Do not bury me in Egypt. On a Sa'atani Mimitzrayim, carry me out of Egypt. Admittedly, he also has Shachafti Mavotai, Ukvartani Bikvuratam. 
But uh, there is an emphasis on not only the idea of being buried with his ancestors, but also the notion of leaving Egypt. I point all of this out because later in the closing scene of Yaakov's life, at the end of Perak Mantet, chapter 49, we see that he addresses all his children. In Perak Memtet, Pasuk Haftet, chapter 49, verse 29, Yaakov instructs all his sons who are around his deathbed and says, I am going to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my ancestors. I'll read a few lines, maybe I will uh, read in, in, in English. Bury me with my fathers in the cave which is in the field of Ephron, the Chittite, the cave which is in the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre in the land of Canaan, the field that Abraham bought from Ephron, the Chittite for a burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried, there Yitzchak and his wife Rishka were buried, and there I buried Leah. And he finishes off with even tighter coordinates, He's mentioned who he buys it from. And at that point, he finishes commanding his sons. The phrase used in this particular text is, And it says, He finished commanding his sons. He gathered his legs onto the bed. And he died. And he was gathered to his people. The repetition here is puzzling uh, because we note the pedantic detail in both of the different texts. In both instructions, Yaakov explains his request with firm insistence, painstaking attention to all the minutiae of the details. And when we look at this, we think that there shouldn't be a need for a second request. Or if there's a second request, why have a first one? Each request, on its own, is so categorical, and we're struck by its detail and force. Certainly the repetition would seem to be somewhat redundant. Now it could be that this is a reflection of Yaakov's old age, his concern, his worries, his fears, and uh, we will certainly give Yaakov uh, that measure of of generosity to allow him to repeat his final request about where he would like to be buried. However, I think that when we look at this in methodological terms, of course the Torah doesn't relate to us every conversation between Yaakov and his children, I think we're going to see that each of these descriptions or each of these last wills, these living wills which Yaakov leaves to his children, contain a different and particular emphasis. We are going to use a technique which is known as the Shtebechinot, which takes a, a, two descriptions of a story and says these aren't actually two different stories. They're, they're a single story, which is being told in a dual manner. Sometimes seeing a two depictions, simply two sides of the same coin, two aspects of a single phenomenon, but which the Torah particularly spells out um, draws out the different hues of colours in order to emphasise two different dimensions of a single phenomenon. Let's see if we can we can draw out the differences here. In the first instruction, um, the attention is to Yosef. And uh, why 
Why should it be Yosef? Why is he talking to Yosef with such respect? The first instruction to Yosef, um, or maybe, you know what, I will point out one further thing. When Yaakov finishes commanding Yosef, he bows down at the head of the bed. And here, there's an interesting discussion. Why is he bowing? Who is he bowing to? Obviously, it would be strange for Yaakov to be bowing down to his son. And here, the commentaries all um, try and explain what is going on here. The, some of the Mepharshim um, see that his bowing down is a sign of bowing down towards the Shekhinah. And indeed, Rashi says, From here we see that actually God's presence is at the head of any person who is sick. Yaakov here is sick. He is bowing down is a sign of uh, homage or is a sign of respect to the Shekhinah. Shekhinah. And um, that is repeated in the Radak and in other places. However, the Rashi in a different comment and the Ibn Ezra mention a, a different approach. A fox, when he has his moment of glory, bowed down to him, says Rashi, quoting Chazal. And uh, the Ibn Ezra says it differently, but he says the same point. That when Yaakov bows down to Yosef, why is he bowing down to him? Shechalak kavod namalchut. That Yosef is actually in a situation, he finds himself in a position of malchut, of government, of control. What might we say on this basis? It would seem that Yaakov summons Yosef in particular, and not the rest of the brothers, due to his position of power in Egypt. Yaakov is concerned to ensure that his body will be allowed to leave the country. This uh, shouldn't be taken for granted. Uh, it is not so easy to leave Egypt. Maybe we should uh, recall the, the 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 scene in which the brothers go to collect Yaakov when after Yosef has revealed his identity to them. The brothers all go back to Eretz Canaan to bring Yaakov down to Egypt. However, it is interesting that Yosef does not accompany them. Yosef only meets them at the border. It is not clear that Yosef has permission to leave. And we wonder who, who does have permission to leave Egypt. There seem to be very strict regulations. If anyone has the connections to um, get the requisite permits to allow Yaakov's body to leave Egypt, uh, it is going to be Yosef. Now, here we read in chapter 50, in Perak Nun, that it is really not so simple. First of all, we see The first stage is that uh, Yaakov is embalmed and mummified. And later on we're going to read how he is quite clearly an Egyptian um, figure. Because it says, 70 days there is official government mourning. And later on in his funeral procession, the phrase used by the locals is, Evel, uh, uh, Evel Kaved Mitzrayim. 
there is a, a sense of national mourning. In fact, so much so that they called the place Avel Mitzrayim, Asheba Eva Hayaradeh. When, when, when Yosef has to ask to let Yaakov leave, he's asking for a, somebody who's become an important man in Egypt. Yaakov apparently has gained prestige in the Egyptian environment. And we see the way that Yosef approaches the royal court in a very tentative and careful way. We read, After the days of crying for Yaakov's death, after 70 days, He speaks to the house of Pharaoh. It is interesting that he doesn't talk to Pharaoh himself. Has he fallen out of favor after the famine years? This is 17 years after they've come to Egypt. We are now 12 years after the famine. Maybe Yosef is more dispensable now. He is less critical. He speaks to Beit Paro, the house of Pharaoh, and not Pharaoh himself, and says, If I find favor in your eyes, reflecting exactly the phrase which Yaakov spoke to him, and he says, My father made me take an oath, saying, I am going to die and I want to be buried in the grave that I made for myself in Canaan. Let me go bury my father and I will return. And Pharaoh responds and says, Go up and bury your father as you took an oath. What is what is emphasized here so clearly is that this is reflective of the phrases which Yaakov had engaged Yosef in. When Yaakov spoke to Yosef, he also said, Just like Yosef addresses the house of Pharaoh, he's using polite, maybe even court language. Similarly, Put your hand under my thigh and take an oath to me. Well, apparently these are critical elements in order to ensure that Yosef will receive the permission to leave because he has to use all of this firepower, all of this uh, emphasis in order to gain Pharaoh's permission to leave. So here we have uh, Yaakov expressing deep insight into the politics of Egypt, understanding that unless he talks specifically to Yosef, who is going to be the one to manoeuvre the corridors of power, and unless he has him take an oath, he will not be able to get his uh, coffin or his uh, mummy taken out of the country. And maybe we now understand why he bows to him. He bows to him, recognising the fact that it is only because Yosef is in the halls of government that he's going to be able to actually fulfil this request, and that actually this might be at enormous cost to Yosef's status in the palace. Yosef here has to bend over backwards and ask a favour which is abnormal, which is beyond the normal call of of duty. And therefore he's asking for something exceptional, something that isn't always comfortable to do. However, that is what Yaakov made him take an oath about, and that is what he's going to do. Of course, the request to the family is absolutely different. In the second request, uh, in Perak Memtet, he has all of the sons around him. And there he does something very, very different. He doesn't talk about leaving Egypt. He only talks about where he wants to be buried. 
And there Yaakov says, uh, please bury me El Avotai to my fathers. And he, he talks about the whole family heritage there. Shama kavruet Abraham et Sarah ishto. Shama kavruet Yitzchak ve ishto. Shama kavarti et Leah. He talks in far more positive tones. Uh, maybe he's trying to remind the family that this is their uh, heritage. That this is the place where all of their family folklore is. Moreover, he emphasizes to them that this was bought with good money, that nobody be, is able to contest the burial site. Of course, this is no matter for the Egyptian powers. This is totally a family matter, and therefore he only addresses it to his people, to his sons. And it is fascinating that each of these stories are separated out almost like filter paper, like colors separate in filter paper, so these two stories are divided. We have the instruction to Yosef in Perak Memzai in chapter 47. And we have the instruction to the brothers in chapter 49, Perak Memtet. But then, no sooner has Yaakov died, Yosef It is Yosef who dies. It's Yosef, sorry. It's Yosef who falls on his father's face and cries. Only Yosef. What about the rest of the brothers? This is the lead-in to the section in which Yosef is going to have to ask special permission. And it continues with the Yosef story, the Yosef's permission which is tied up with the whole Egyptian dimension of Yaakov's burial. As we said, um, they come to Goren Ha'atad in Eva HaYardain, and the statement is, Evel Karashima, Evel and that is the end, Pasuk Yud Bet forms the end of the section, the segment, which is to do with Yosef's fulfillment of his promise to his father. But then, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Perak Memtet, Pasuk Yud Gimel, goes into a whole different mode. And it uses the word Vayetzav, just like he said, The brothers fulfilled their father's instruction, they took him, they, they carried him to the land of Canaan. Here we see the reflection of all of the instructions which were given to um, all of the brothers, to all of the sons together. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there are two stories. The one to Yosef is the more negative one, don't bury me in Egypt. The ones to the brothers is the more positive one, explaining to them that they actually belong in another place, that all their ancestors belong in another place. And here I'd like to draw upon a certain comment of uh, Rav Shinshofal Hirsch. Rav Shinshofal Hirsch says the following in his commentary. He says, Jacob, who lived 17 years with his family in Egypt, could have noticed what a powerful influence the being gripped by the land was beginning to have on his descendants. Here he is playing on the phrase at the end of Parsha Vayigash, where it says, that the people, that the family of Yaakov were being gripped by the land of Egypt. He says, now they had already begun to see the Jordan in the Nile and to find that in their stay in Egypt, no exile. Sufficient motive this for him to press with such ceremonious solemnity that they should not bury him in Egypt, 
but they should carry him to the land of their old true homeland, motive enough for him to say to them, You hope and wish to live in Egypt? I do not wish even to be buried there. This is also why he did not express this wish as Yaakov from his individual personal standpoint, but as Yisrael, as bearer of the national mission, as a warning of the national future of his children. It is interesting to 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 check out and to think about which is a more powerful message. Is a message which is expressed in the positive, where Yaakov turns around to his sons and says, I want to be buried in Eretz Israel, I want to be buried in Hebron, I want to be buried in the place that my grandfather bought, I want to be buried with my with my wife, with my uh, parents, with my grandparents. Is that a more positive message? Or is it the message to Yosef, Al-Natik Bereni B'Mitzrayim? Well, I think we have a very, very clear answer. And the answer lies in which of the brothers themselves, which of the Bnei Yaakov, Bnei Israel, themselves asked to be buried outside Mitzrayim. And here we see a surprise. In the last lines of Sefer Breshit, Yosef said to his brothers, God will redeem you. He's going to take you out to the land which was promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yosef made the sons of Israel, or maybe now it's the, the children of Israel, the people, the collective. He made them take an oath saying, God will redeem you and you should take my bones out of this. And this is remarkable because Yosef is, out of all the brothers, should feel the most comfortable in Egypt. He's the one who lived there. He's the one who was assimilated into Egyptian high society. He doesn't live in Goshen. He lives in the in the royal center. And he should be the most comfortable in the Egyptian environment. And yet it is Yosef who says... Take my bones, Mizeh, not Mimitzrayim, Mizeh, as if almost looking down, almost casting aside Egypt as a country. He's the one who follows his father's example and makes them take a Shvu'ah. But let me add something more. Yosef doesn't just say, take me out of Egypt, like his father said, but he says something more. He remembers the positive side. He says twice here, Pakod Yifkod Elokim Etchem, God will redeem you. God will will take you out of here. One day you will be leaving Egypt. He says, I understand the land of Eretz Israel is the land Ashenishbal Avraham Yitzchakuliyakov. It is it is ironic and maybe a psychological truism that sometimes we learn more from negative messaging than positive messaging. Yaakov tried to transmit to his sons the positive notion that Eretz Israel was a place that all the family belonged. And uh, that's where he wanted to be buried because that's where his ancestors were. And yet, that did not leave a powerful mark on 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 his sons. What did make the powerful mark? What made the powerful mark was the negative message of Yaakov. Yaakov, when he made Yosef swear, he used an interesting uh, imagery. He told Yosef. Put your hand under my thigh. And of course, there's one other place where we find this in Sefer Breshit, and that is in Parshat Chayi Sarah, 
when Abraham is addressing his servant and asking him to find a wife. And there, um, we read there, in Perak, just finding it, in Perak Haftalad, also, he talks to Abdul Zakam Beto, his servant, the old one of his house, and says, Sim put your hand under my thigh, this it's not clear what it is to put your hand under somebody's thigh. Chazal say that sometimes Yerech refers to the sexual organ because when we talk about Kol Yotzei Yerech Yaakov all of the descendants, all of the offspring of the thighs of Yaakov we're obviously not just referring to his thigh, but referring to his ability to reproduce and to produce descendants. And therefore, they say that the Yerech actually refers to the notion of continuity. And whenever we're dealing with continuity, whether it is Avraham instructing his servant to find a wife for Yitzchak, um, we see there a certain insistence, something adamant, the the insistence of a of a shvu'ah. Why? Why is this so important? Because when Abraham instructs his slave, he is saying, things have to be made clear. We have to make very clear lines where we belong and where we do not belong. We do not marry Canaanites. We do not send Yitzchak to Aram Naharayim. We have to find a wife and she will come here. And this is essential to the continuity of the family. I think a similar thing takes place with Yosef. Yaakov uses exactly the same technique, the Shru'ah, the Simna Yadcha Tachat And he says, at the core of continuity is for us to understand that our place as a nation is not in Galut. If we think our place is somewhere in Egypt, wherever it may be, we will get lost. We will get lost in another country. And it is only Yosef, and I, as I said before, ironically Yosef, who is so comfortable in Egypt, by the force of this, of this special moment which he has with Yaakov, where Yaakov makes him take this oath, he begins to understand something that the brothers who didn't get that negative messaging never understood. The brothers only heard that Eretz Yisrael is a special place, but they never heard that Egypt is a place that will obstruct and will undercut our Jewish continuity. The only person who heard that message alone with Yaakov was Yosef, and that makes a deep impression upon him. And therefore, when Yosef is in his final moments, he instructs his, his children to take his bones out of Eretz Mitzrayim. But not only that, Yosef is animated by a spirit of understanding that we don't belong in Egypt, but we do belong somewhere else. There will be a Geula. In other words, out of the negative, he understands the positive. Out of the negative, he understands that Eretz Yisrael, and not Misraim is the land. And indeed, the promise is fulfilled, not only to Yaakov, but it is to Yosef. We know that when we leave Egypt in Parashat B'Shalach, Shemot, Perak Yud Gimel, one of the important details that is mentioned 
as we depart as a nation is Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Yud Tet Vayikach Moshe Etatzmot Yosef Imo Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him as they left in Egypt Ki Hashpea Hishpiat Bnei Yisrael Neymar because Yosef had made the Jewish people as a collective swear Pakod Yifkod Elokim Etchem Valitem Etatzmotayim Izet Etchem and once again note how the this line is quoted with the positive and the negative not only take my bones out of this country but God will redeem you Yosef through his negative messaging understood the the the, the notion that we will be redeemed I find it very very touching that Yosef's story comes to a close not only with the exodus from Egypt and his bones being taken out of the land but actually in the final lines of Sefer Yehoshua where Yosef is brought to rest and he's he he's buried it says here in the final lines of Sefer Yehoshua that atzmot Yosef always referred to as the bones of Yosef which the Bnei Israel brought out of Egypt kavru bishchem there's a sense of closing of the circle Shechem is the place where he sought his brothers on that fateful day when he was sold into slavery and Shechem becomes the place where he is eventually put to rest as that long circle of Galut and Gula comes to a close at the point at the end of Sefer Yehoshua when all of the people are settled in their land and that great dream of the land promised by Avram Yitzchak Yaakov is now given to the Jewish people and they can begin their collective life within that special land. It's not until that moment that Yosef can come to rest. Yosef will not let his bones rest until not only has he left Egypt, but until the words of the of the redemption are fulfilled, until Am Yisrael has come to a state of rest and calm in the promised land. Thank you very much. Wishing you Shabbat Shalom. But until 